Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The trauma felt around the nation as George Floyd's death is shown in the Derek Chauvin trial. The trauma is generational. It's happened over time, generation after generation. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. A look at plans for environmental justice in the San Diego Bay. This is going to be part of our operations, our lens, and how we look at things is through the environmental justice lens. And we'll tell you what's on the arts and culture scene in San Diego this weekend. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. It was shown over and over again in the Derek Chauvin trial this week. Chauvin's knee in George Floyd's neck while he was on the ground, handcuffed and pleading for his life, even for several minutes after he went limp. Witness testimony was emotional with a deep sense of trauma. And that trauma is being felt by many people who have seen the video and are watching the trial. Starla Lewis is a professor of Black Studies at Mesa College and SDSU. She teaches a class on transcending racism and the psychological history of racism and sexism. Starla, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. First, how are you doing this week? Well, you know, the reality is it comes and goes. It was a traumatic experience to witness it, but because of what I teach, I've studied it, you know, from the beginning of when we were being lynched every two and a half days for 50 some odd years. And so I have, a, I think I, I have developed a defense mechanism that allows me to view it, but I don't view it over and over again. In other words, when it comes on, I don't continue to watch it. You've been talking to your students this week about the trial. What are you hearing from them? Well, the students have been traumatized because they went through a period, we'll call it the Obama period, where they, could, they were being taught that the post-racism and that we've made all these great strides. And so for them to witness a murder and then to have to deal with the fact that it doesn't jive, that there's all these great strides, that's been very traumatizing for them. And they're not prepared for it because see, if you don't acknowledge what is and prepare your children to deal with what is, then they're defenseless. And so it makes it more traumatic. You see the conversations around 
transcending racism, the conversations around uh, systemic biases, et cetera, are so necessary for our healing because you can't address something you don't know exists. And as I'm doing my trainings, what I'm hearing people say, especially white people, is that they didn't think racism still existed. So how can you get rid of something if you don't even acknowledge that it's, it's real? Wow. You know, it's not just the video and the testimony that uh, can be traumatizing. Uh, in what ways do you think the defense's effort to put George Floyd on the stand impacts us? Well, I think that, that those of us who live in the Black communities and have experienced being Black in America understand that that's, that's always. One of the reasons I believe that the officer acted so violently toward him was because we teach officers that Black people are criminals. And so there is a, in our psyche that fear of Black men that has been perpetuated since uh, Black people were released from slavery. And how do you think those experiences, the criminalization of Black skin, um, changes the way that communities of color in particular move in society? Well, I think... Um, when they go outside of their community, they become very cautious. I even think some become very anxious. And I also think that the trauma is generational. You know, it's not just happening right now. It's happened over time, generation after generation. And I think that, uh, in fact, I've read and I've, I've uh, documented that the medical profession, the mental health profession, has said that black, young Black men walk around with post-traumatic stress at a level that's higher than young men coming back from the war. Mm. How do these events, you know, um, we're talking from George Floyd to Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, the list goes on and on. How do these uh, examples impact us in society, you think? Well, the, it goes from everything from shame and guilt to rage. But I would say that the, the greatest challenge is it's crazy making. First, it makes you distrustful of law enforcement, which we shouldn't be because they're there to protect us. But when you see young black man after young black man handled the way they're handled in videos, because this isn't the only video, video we've seen, and this isn't the last man to die at the hands of um, excessive force. And so I think uh, from Trayvon Martin, I, I'm still recovering from Trayvon Martin. And it was that about 10 years ago. And so I think it's important that we understand that it's not just the police that, that gets a pass on killing uh, Black people, but it's also civilians who are in fear of Black people that get a pass. And we saw that with the Trayvon Martin case. So what ways can people protect their uh, mental and emotional well-being in light of this trial happening this week? Well, I think when you learn history, you understand that this isn't anything new. And so you understand what did we do that kept us sane and what got us to this point where we are today. And I think it's about acknowledging our own value and worth. I think it's about loving ourselves in a deep and profound way. I think it's about being able to look at truth and accept that it is what it is, and then developing all kinds of personal strategies. One of the ways I kept myself sane um, 
and and I've used it with George Floyd's uh, murder as well, is that I would go up to young black men and women, but mostly men, and I would say to them, may I share with you? And then I would say to them, you're beautiful, you're brilliant, you're powerful, you're valuable, and your life matters. I remember one group of young black men said to me, thank you, nobody validates us. We need validation. So I've seen the beauty in all, everybody, and especially taking time to let young Black men and women know that I care, I see, I know, and that you can transcend this. I've been speaking with Starla Lewis, a professor of Black Studies at Mesa College and SDSU. Starla, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The public agency that manages the tidelands around San Diego Bay is considering adjusting the way it does business. KPBS environmental reporter Eric Anderson says the Port of San Diego's new master plan, a planning document for the next three decades, could include a focus on environmental justice. When trucks rumble through Bayside San Diego neighborhoods, some see economic vitality. But the economic payload comes with a cost, a cost that's frequently paid by neighborhoods like Barrio Logan. Barrio Logan is in the top 5% of the most polluted uh, areas by diesel pollution in the state of California. Diane Tekvorian works with the Environmental Health Coalition. For 30 years, she's pushed Barrio Logan residents to lobby the Port of San Diego to clean up its operations. Tekvorian says pollution there pushes local asthma rates up. And that's not the only health impact. We have the, some of the highest rates of uh, COVID uh, infections and mortality in Barrio Logan, National City, and other parts of the South Bay. So this is serious. People's lives depend on it. Local residents forced the port to listen as commissioners debated a concrete contract with Mitsubishi late last year. The neighborhood cried out about too much truck traffic linked to the project, and the port shelled the idea for now. There's been a gradual transition towards collaboration. The port's Jason Giffen says the agency is considering doing something that's rare. They're looking at being one of the first ports in California to add an environmental justice element to their master planning document. Giffen says that'll help Bayside communities. They're more than their fair share of impacts. We look at this as an opportunity and we look at it as a way to guide the future together to reduce impacts specifically around some of the neighboring communities around the port. The change would force the port to do more than just consider economic, recreational, or public access issues when they consider projects or leases in the Tidelands. The agency would have to consider how policies or projects impact nearby neighborhoods. We're at a point, an inflection point, where we can really set the balance for the next 30 years and really focus on improving air quality, environmental quality. And recently, we've really seen an investment by the port, and an acceleration into advancing clean water and clean air programs at activities at our marine terminals and also in the working waterfront. The port is already moving to electrify vehicles at marine terminals, and there are efforts to move truck traffic around residential neighborhoods. There's also a push to increase access to transit. But the Environmental Health Coalition's longtime leader eyes the move with some skepticism. It's, it's a good sentiment and it's an important goal, but what's really important is that they actually um, 
materialize that in the actions that they take. The push to keep environmental justice from being just a paper change has allies on the board of port commissioners. Board Chair Michael Zuchett says the port wants healthy, thriving neighbors. He says clean air is important to him, and he thinks electrification of port vehicles is an important strategy. Those who lead on this issue will get the funding, the grant funding, the support that needs to make these transitions, and I want to make sure the port's on the front side of that. And the Board of Port Commissioners' newest member, Sandy Naranjo from National City, wants to build on progress that is already happening. The port is shifting, and and I want to be, as my role as port commissioner, I want to push for that so we can be leading, not just in our region, but in our state and nationally. Naranjo brings a history of community activism to the job, and she's excited that the port's master planning document will have that environmental justice element. This is going to be part of our operations, our lens, and how we look at things is through the environmental justice lens. Recovering from the financial hit from the COVID-19 pandemic will grab a lot of attention at the port this year, but the agency could also keep Bayside neighbors in the discussion if environmental justice becomes part of the business equation. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. If you're looking to get a dose of culture this weekend and still feeling a bit housebound, our arts picks this weekend have a domestic spin to them. From an exhibition of women artists to a feminist film series that centers on gender and the home, there's lots to see and do this weekend. Joining me is KPBS arts editor Julia Dixon-Evans with all the details. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. So in the North County, the Oceanside Museum of Art reopens today. What's on view there? Yeah, so they have their 20 Women Artists Now exhibition. It's curated by Alessandra Moctezuma, and there's tons of works. Some of my favorites are the glowing acrylic and color film sculpture by Kaori Fukuyama. She had made this piece for the San Diego Art Prize show last year. There's also a bunch of figurative sculptures of Manuelita Brown, including some new ones inspired by the last year. There's also encaustic work by mixed media artist Maite Benito Agonia. And all you do is you book a time slot to visit when you purchase your ticket in advance. The Oceanside Museum of Art 20 Women Artists Now exhibition is on view now through August 1st. The museum is open Thursday through Saturday from 11 to 5 and Sundays until 4. And the Domestic Geographies exhibition now at the front in San Ysidro has been underway since last month. And this week marks the launch of the associated film series. It's called Home, That Obscure Object of Desire. Tell us about this. Yeah, so this is curated by Itza Martinez del Canizo. She is a documentary filmmaker currently based in Tijuana. The program has six films. They're all iconic feminist works from the last 50 or so years from around the world. They're all viewable online for free, and they all kind of touch on these 
domestic gendered constructs. One example is Chantal Ackerman's short 1968 work. It translates to Blow Up My Town, the title. It's a silent film and a woman just goes about her day. She does all of these mundane tasks like reading, feeding the cat, and then blows up the world. And there is, on a more serious note, there's a full-length 2016 Mexican documentary called Batallas Intimas, which chronicles five survivors of domestic violence. And one that caught my eye was a 1975 work by American performance artist Martha Rosler. It's called Semiotics of the Kitchen, and she identifies and names kitchen objects in alphabetical order and kind of pantomimes using them. It draws on the popularity of cooking shows of the time. It's weirdly mesmerizing, and here's a clip. Greater. Hamburger press. Ice pick. Very interesting. That's the short film, Semiotics of the Kitchen, from the Domestic Geographies Film Program. Films are available to stream on demand now through April 11th. And in the theater world, the Globe's Friday night Word Up virtual event caught our eye and uh, caught your eye this week. Tell us a little bit about this program and how we can all tune in. Yeah, it's like a weekly theater masterclass, Mad Libs game, and hang session all combined. They bring in special guests to discuss some kind of element of performance. Sometimes it's theater and sometimes it's theater adjacent or in storytelling or poetry. It's a live event. You can participate if you'd like, but it's also available online in the archives to watch later. This week's is Commedia dell'arte, which translates in Italian to comedy of the profession, which emerged in 16th century Italy. It uses kind of archetype and stock characters for humor, and it also centers around masks, which is kind of timely. One of the earliest times also when women were able to portray women characters on the stage. And the guests this week are Tijuana's Valeria Vega and Jesus Quintero. They're both part of the Tijuana theater scene. And Quintero is also a renowned prop mask and costume designer. So I think it's going to be a really great discussion of theater history, of masks and design, as well as character and comedy, and just to check in with what's going on on the Tijuana theater scene. Great. Word up is tonight at 6 p.m. on the Old Globe's YouTube channel. And finally, the Anthenaeum Arts Center has been producing short recorded videos of solo piano music called the Logan Lone Piano Concerts. Tell us about these. You can find quite a selection of them. They're stripped down piano performances and they post them on their YouTube channel. It's basically a single grand piano in the newly renovated Athenaeum Art Center space in Barrio Logan. They've had jazz musicians like Joshua White, Mara Kay, Clinton Davis, and the latest is Carrie Feller, who is from the dark wave bands Hexa and Hours. She also has solo work out. So she's kind of more of a goth rock musician. It's really great to see her in the space in the raw piano stripped down format. She performed two pieces in her concert. Both of them are originals. And here's a little clip from Prelude in Terror.
Sounds Intense, Carrie Feller's Logan Lone Piano Concert is viewable on the Anthenaeum Art Center's YouTube channel now. For more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts Editor and Producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks so much. Thanks, Jade. Have a great weekend. You too. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.